You are listening to The Think Tank, the unofficial NAFO podcast, brought to you by your best brain-damaged dogs and friends. Now please welcome your hosts, Matt, the TOEFO CEO, and Joe Place. Hello, and welcome to whatever this podcast is going to be called. This is the first episode of what will hopefully be several podcasts. Um, And the idea of this is to bring a level of expertise to NAFO and bring NAFO to uh, a more academic audience. You know, if you've ever been a bit stumped by certain topics that have come up related to Ukraine and just want to learn a little bit more, like this is a place to be. You can, you will we'll be talking to various experts in various fields that are related to Ukraine. Uh, we've got some very interesting people lined up. And yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to be really interesting. So basically today we're going to be going through what this podcast is going to be doing and how it's come about. And then after that, we'll be discussing Georgia and its relationship to Ukraine and Russia, because, you know, the main starting point of NAFO was raising money for Georgia Legion, so it's a very important, relevant topic. And also after that, we'll be having a bit of discussion about why NAFO has been successful. And we'll also be discussing uh, some volunteer-related issues as well, because that is at the heart of what we do. So just to introduce myself quickly, I'm Joe, Joe Place. You may have seen me on Twitter doing NAFO shenanigans. And um, also we have Matt. So Matt, you want to say hello? Yeah, hello. Um, So I'm called NAFO Signals on Twitter. I had zero followers in May. (laughs) Um, So I'm now up to um, three and a half thousand. So that's how many fellows I've picked up along along the way. So it's been a bit of a shock for me, particularly. But um, I got the idea for this way back when. And I set up a, uh, a quick thread after someone said, oh, yeah, yeah. On the on the radio, the only person who seems to vaguely positive towards Ukraine was Phillips O'Brien, and I, I yeah, sure, I mean, there must be someone else. So I, I put it, put that reply on there, and that particular thread just absolutely snowballed as more and more people came online. This podcast is, I think, um, to be seen as an extension of that thread, where we try and bring in people who are not normally seen on the sort of mainstream media, um, but are genuine experts in, in their particular fields. And hopefully they can bring a bit more information and knowledge to people about what's what's going on. Hopefully it won't be too boring, um, mainly because I, I like to listen to podcasts as well. And fingers crossed, this will be an interesting one. Yeah. So, you know, the idea is we'll be speaking with academics. And of course, there's going to be like serious discussion and questions. But it is sort of aimed at someone who has a bit of knowledge about the situation, yeah. but you know, we're not going to be throwing complicated terms at anyone. So 
it's just sort of a great place if you want to mm-hmm. hear from some experts and learn. That's how I'm imagining. Yeah, things. yeah. Ho- hopefully, we can get into more detail than um, you'd get in Twitter Spaces, where it's more. Um, how can I describe it? It's, 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 we were talking about this earlier, weren't we? And it's it's like audio Twitter. We're hoping this will be a bit more organised and a bit more formal, and that there'll be more structure and we'll cover different things in in the same podcast but you have a theme nafo ukraine georgia russia that sort of thing and depending how long it goes on and depending what happens with the war you know it could change it it probably yeah. will change over time uh, we'll have more people involved though we've already got quite a few people behind the scenes who have expressed interest so mm-hmm. Um, people who I never thought, you know, we were podcast. We haven't even started, and we've got several <laughs> people. I want to be on it. What? You don't even know what it's going to be like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very weird. Yeah, we've we've literally got a we've we've literally got a queue now, yeah. haven't yeah. we? And yeah. um, I'm consistently stunned by how many how how many good people there are, yeah. you know, online. And I think it's definitely changed my view of of the online world. Definitely, um, um, because I remember, you know, when the war started, I'd been using Twitter. I joined in 2016, but I never did anything mm. about it. I, yeah. I started using it to follow some sort of like, experts um, about Ukraine, about Russia and stuff mm. like that, mm, probably a while ago. But I would probably check on Twitter like once a week and just sort of see what they said. And go, okay. Mm. And then when the war started, I was like, okay, this and Telegram, this is like the place to go to get stuff like really mm-hmm. quickly on the ground. But yeah. still, I... You know, we, we we had all this Russian disinfo everywhere, and it was really disheartening. And also, Facebook was disgusting. You go on the comments or something, it's just like, what is this nonsense? You know, and when I some of the things from NAFO, I did start following um, before even they were Shiba mm. avatars, <laughs> and mm. and then I started seeing these dogs appear, and I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And then it was like, okay, so you've got dogs. Oh, how do you get one? Oh, you put donate some money. It's like, okay, but I don't quite understand. And then all of a sudden um it was like yeah you do it like this and we've already raised like this many thousands like oh okay yeah i definitely want to be part of this mm. and uh yeah and it's interesting as well because you if you go back to some really old posts you see people before nafo formed also yeah. combating disinfo yeah it's yeah, nice yeah. because yeah i had like 12 followers in february <laughs> and now i've got like two and a half thousand it's like how is this possible like what is yeah. this and yeah, yeah trying yeah. to keep back following back but it gets really really hard because I, I donated two days after karma started but I was so nervous about being online that mm. I just sort of, I lurked for a bit, you know, and I thought, oh, what the hell is going on? And so I, I think it was about the 18th. I can't remember when I've got the screenshot somewhere. And, um, and then in beginning of June, I thought, I'll, I'll draw my own because he's obviously, he was already getting stressed about. <laughs> yeah. So this was the beginning of June. He was already getting stressed about the number of drawings he was doing. So I'll do my own. And then it just sort of snowballed from there. It was, yeah. and I've just seen so much crap, rubbish online for years. It's just absolutely brilliant to just to actually make a stand, you know, and do something about it. Well, we'll talk about this later. You know, some people say, oh, you're just fighting on a Twitter. It's like, actually, no, we are making a tangible difference. And I think mm. yeah. this is something I think we'll talk about a lot. Um, yeah. It is important because the, the disinformation line is dangerous. Mm. It, it, it can shape opinion. It can shape how people view the world. And yeah, yeah I, I think it's really crucial that yeah. I think what NAFE is doing is good just on the Twitter space, let alone the money that has been raised, let alone... Yeah. 
everything else that has been done, it's pretty yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, if if anyone causes problems that you know, oh yeah, you're just uh, keyboard warriors, blah blah blah. You just put up a picture of the Super Bonker nine thousand, yeah, and then that's that's the end of that conversation, basically, isn't it? So yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, I, I, that was it. That was the moment. I thought, oh my god, we've actually sponsored a tank or. <laughs> <laughs> a gun whatever, Artillery, whatever. Yeah. i'm gonna get i'm gonna get into trouble for that a self-propelled gun there you go SPG. yeah there you go but it's a it's a tank in it it's got a big gun in it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 i just think it's awesome absolutely amazing just so people a little bit more what this podcast will be usually the format's going to be about three sections sometimes four uh, we usually just start with a bit of an update about what's going on in the world, although most of the time most people know that, so we don't want to spend too long on that. But and, and then we'll have a discussion, you know, with with some academic or journalist or someone with expertise, and then we'll also about something more political based, and then we'll have a discussion after that, uh, usually more related to NATO, NAFO, uh, rather. And I'm going to make that mistake a lot. Uh, and, and then also we'll be discussing stuff like, you know, volunteer projects, things like that you should be aware of as well. Uh, you know, and, and the thing is, you know, the things are changing all the time. When this podcast was conceived, war was very static. It was in this period where like the East and the South were very much still, nothing was really happening. And now, you know, the last week, the whole thing has changed. We've now seen this massive counteroffensive in the East. Kharkiv for getting attacks in Don Donetsk, even in Luhansk, and and the South is also having a slow counterattack as well. It's very fluid, and you know by the time we finished one episode, we could be in a very different world. <laughs> I think we're going to have yeah. to be aware of this fact. So I don't want to date us too much, but I think a lot of what we're discussing will be relevant for a while. Really, yeah. I think what we what we'll try and do is um, people background as to what's going on in the yeah. in the main sections cover some background areas um, that'll be hopefully relevant whenever people listen to it yeah yeah absolutely and it will give context to things because quite often you know i see people go oh like i don't fully understand this like, oh, what was the situation in georgia or like uh, why, why do russians always call ukrainians banderites and stuff like this and to someone like me mm. I, I know the answer to these questions, but, like, yeah, but not everyone does. And it's actually hard to get good information about these mm. things because a lot mm. of the time there's a lot of biased sources out there or or just poor people who just regurgitate Wikipedia without really offering any insight. That really annoys me. Yeah. Um, and so I hope that this sort of format can help do that. And if, yeah. as it's audio, it's stuff people can do in the background easily. I'm, I'm yeah, we've got that. We've got all sorts of interesting subjects already lined up. So I generally, I think that we've, we've explained what this podcast is about. I think yep. we don't need to go much further than this. And no, we'll that's it. To crack on with the next yep. bit in a bit. <laughs> Before we go any further, we'll just quickly introduce ourselves to you listening. Wonder why are we doing this? So my background, uh, I, I, I'm doing a PhD. Um, my background is politics. I'm actually mostly interested in political theory primarily, but I've ended up becoming more and more invested in researching Ukraine. Um, I, I mean, I've been fascinated in Ukraine and Eastern Europe generally for a long time. But over the last three years, I actually started more seriously researching it as an academic level um, 
got a couple of small publications and books, uh, one about Zelensky and one about European Union, uh, like whether they should adopt an army and stuff like this and its relationship with NATO. And then, yeah, so, so that's sort of how I got interested in all of this and living in Ukraine, you know, massively motivated me to learn more. So for me, this sort of academic level discussion is what I wanted to facilitate to an extent, although I kind of fell into it just by chance, really. Um, when, when Matt started this thread. So, <laughs> uh, Matt, why don't you say, who are you? Yeah, yeah. So, um, actually, my, a good place to start is a, an article um, by Peter Althaus in a Berlin newspaper where he, I talked to him as well. My background is that I'm from a family of Eastern European refugees. Um, I got mad. <laughs> I was bloody furious about what was going on, I, but there was no way of actually being able to do anything about it so and then I saw karma fundraising in May I donated probably a few days after he started it but just sort of lurked around and then I drew my own PFP and and started to get involved and then when you see what difference the the money makes to the Georgian Legion then uh, it seems wrong not to um, do as much as you can right so hopefully if you listen to this then you'll drop a few um, coins in their pot, as it were. Uh, in the conversation we had, we I, I, I'm recording this from the future of the conversation. Um, <laughs> we, we, yeah. sat, we sat down with, metaphorically, we sat down with um, Maggie, Ma- who many of you in NAFO probably know already. She is a journalist based in Kiev. And we also sat with uh, Dr. Nick Ford, who is a comparative politics and political science researcher and teacher. And she's at the University of Tampa in Florida. And yeah, and she's been pretty prominent with NAFO stuff as well. And so it seemed like a good start uh, to start talking about Georgia and the comparison between Georgia and Ukraine and Russia and the situations that developed there were well, the wars i don't want to be one of those people the situation you know the wars we can compare them as well so it seemed like a good place to start so this was today's show whenever you are listening to this yeah we did um sort of like a full network analysis of the Georgian Legion. We can talk about that. Um, just because uh, obviously we're, we're there just to, we started just because we were donating to them, right? And so it was, it, was be, it was interesting for us to see what sort of effect these, uh, well, I've, I've heard sort of Russian ru- rumors from various accounts that there's about 80,000 affiliated accounts. So I, I'm counting that as fellas and followers you know and 80, so we, yeah eighty thousand. so that because they they don't like us right so wow. they, they yeah so they um they use an app called secretor to block us it has interesting implications for them rather than yeah. for us but they we won't, block each other don't they uh yeah. they block each other but what i've also seen on some of the snapshots is they're effectively locking themselves into so we're like sheepdogs um and so we sort of we're herding them about and pushing them around and the, as they try and block us then they basically 
allow us to shepherd them into echo chambers and things like that. So they end up talking to each other. But because they block us and then people who like us and because and follow us, then they are blocking that wider audience that they could access. Like, I think yeah, they're, they're, that's they're exactly thinking, right. Oh, they block NAFO so I can continue saying my yeah. stuff. It's like, no, you, you've blocked everyone. You literally are just talking to yeah, yeah, yeah. converted, right? Yeah, just, exactly. Which is a classic echo chamber. And yeah. um, they, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I started on this sort of stuff with. Um, that's a, 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 sort of like a campaign called FBPE. Do you remember? I don't. You don't know if you yeah. either of you are aware of that. Follow back pro Europe. I think it was. Yeah. Um, which was a massive, absolute failure. It got loads of loads of interest at the start of the Brexit campaign. Um, but all, all it ended up doing was becoming a sort of like a follower count challenge where everybody would rush to get up to 5,000 because that's the maximum that you could get to. And then they just sort of talk to each other for a bit and then drift off, be muted or whatever. And then there was, but there was no, there was no driver. There was no cause to follow. They were just sort of talking to each other about how bad Brexit would be, but without considering maybe talking about what they were going to do about it, <laughs> you know? So that's how I started doing this. And then as we've, gone through but i've learned more and more from people like mr pingu um, and others so we've been looking at the georgian legion and these guys must live in sort of like a massive lovely twitter land where everybody loves them because they're literally surrounded by fellas there's they must not see anything apart from fellas so there's just layer multiple layers so you've got the, the closer ones um so the older guys you know like karma and people like that but then it, it sort of like a if you look i'll send you the diagram but it looks like some kind of weird sort of galaxy of fellas um and what these accounts do effectively is protect them so you get anyone trying to spread misinformation or attack them online they are immediately shut down and drowned out by this sort of constellation of fellas the, the message doesn't get through they it literally just gets completely swallowed um and then you've got the the opposite effect, where if the Georgian Legion say, hey, look at this amazing thing we've done, or please can we, we need some money for another uh, bulletproof plate. I mean, that shows my age in Nafod land, doesn't it? Bulletproof plates. But, you know, so that message goes out and then you start getting sort of these ripples of messages going up the layers, amplifying it out. And it's quite, it's quite something to behold. And if you, people think that it's sort of, uh, I don't know, a digital thing, but if you look at it, it looks like an organic entity. You know, it's something like Star Trek where they go, oh, Mr. Spock, can you analyze this weird, strange life form? And that's what it looks like um, to us when we're sort of analyzing these things. And you can see new clusters forming or vanishing. So people trying new things, things don't work or things do work. I mean, the things that do work, so you get these positive feedback loops. What was the the, the thing we, we started doing was operational, Operation Useful Idiots. Yes, I came up with that name. I was you, That was you. Oh, that, that was awesome. That was you. Super cool. Yeah. And then cool it car was chase. Robert, it was Robert Goodfellow who came up with the thing and once it. Yes. And, he, he, and I said Operation Useful Idiot, and I was like, yeah, they, and then the next thing I know, they picked it. And I was like, right. Oh, oh there happy. you go. You, well, you two, are the, you two are awesome because that – that's effectively a, a like a positive feedback loop. So people say, "Oh yeah, I'll block," you know, "block, block." 
that that was all they were doing. But now you you block, you give five bucks or whatever, and so immediately the the person who gets blocked gives the five dollars. But then you get the retweets, you get the likes, you get oh well done, blah blah blah. So you start getting positive feedback on this, so that builds up momentum. But you're also getting the fact that it encourages the other side, I guess, will we'll, the, the, like the troll accounts to start blocking more and more. So it pushes them back into a, a bigger echo chamber. So you get that sort of positive feedback loop. That, the other one was the interesting only fellas, a, a certain yeah, person. <laughs> yeah, well, no, 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 because no, I, I was hugely all. supportive of that because it's a fantastic idea. And it again, it again matches that sort of positive oh, yeah. feedback loop, you know, and yeah. you 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 started to see clusters on the on the galaxy charts forming around that, and this sort of diversity of ideas, and it's not all about one thing. You need diversity. You need multiple views. You need lots of different people. You need people from every country. You need. Yeah. You know, do you see what I mean? So. Yeah. And we even had Mamuk in the in that. Uh, Did you? Right. Part. Okay. Yeah, he, he fucking posted. Uh, he was <laughs> okay. still extremely hot. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> from from my point of view, it's been. I mean, I, I started looking at this sort of stuff in the ni- early nineties, and I've, I've mentioned it, and I'll talk about it to anybody who listens. A book uh, from Kevin Kelly, Out of Control, um, where he talks about um, biological processes sort of appearing in, in the online world as it was then. I mean, they were looking at things like Usenet and stuff like that then. But, I mean, it was 30 years ahead of his time. And you can see in these diagrams, I mean, they're static, but you know, if, if you animated them, you'd see these sort of clusters appearing and then disappearing, separating, merging. Um, it's a, it's an, uh, I'll, I'll send them uh, some of them to you, but it's, it's quite a, an astonishing thing to see. And I just don't think that technology was was there for his book. You know, he's about 30 years ahead of his time. Um, and it's just, and I can see why people struggle to understand, you know, oh, it must be a, an operation or right. it must be funded by the CIA. How are they doing this? Blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it just sort of, and I tried. I keep saying it just happens. <laughs> it happens because yeah. people. It happens because people want it to happen, right? They, they, they've they've found something that they need to help on, and then you get these positive feedback loops, and then you get the negative feedback loops on the other side, and it it sort of mutates. It evolves. I, I think people... like anonymous work sort of okay, and they must be pretty shocked now. This, should, this was supposed to be their moment. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. that's right. That yeah, yeah. came in and sort of, they have yeah. I mean, but they don't, but the trouble is they don't have that sort of diversity. No. So that sort of the competition of ideas and the competition of thoughts. You can say like you use the algorithm for good. <laughs> yeah, that sort of positive feedback is exactly. So I'll always say, if you can put positive words in, in your tweets so if you're posting a meme say hey look at this amazing picture blah 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 and then the algorithm yeah the algorithm will then pick it up because it twitter likes positive feedback right that explains why when i called michael tracy something my tweets all of a sudden got less likes for a little bit Uh, okay yeah 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 you'll see that so the out yeah so i mean when we were when we were little puppies we would have been 
de-boosted, we would have been a hidden. I know I was on several occasions. Um, and yeah. recently we would have seen Ambassador Yulanov being complaining, going, oh no, Twitter, <laughs> Twitter, Twitter are silencing me. It must be uh, censorship. Was, no, it's just that no one wants to listen to him anymore. No, no, he's, so al- he's yeah. somebody could, for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the algorithm, yeah, so the algorithm had just said, uh, this this old guy is just not interesting. Uh, we he doesn't get any he doesn't get any interaction on his posts because he he locks the replies blah blah, and so that's the end. Of, so that's, that's your negative feedback loop. Do, do, yeah. do you see what I mean? And that that's where his frustration, and I think that's where all the other frustrations are coming from, is yeah. that they are a specific group of people with the same idea, right? Yeah. Whereas you go into any sort of NAFO NAFO, we see we can't even pronounce it the same. Right. So, yeah. So you get this comp. I mean, it's quite a sort of a free market type thing. You know, this competition of ideas, but you see it sort of them bashing around against each other all the time. And you'll so things will work. Memes will clash. This will work. That one doesn't for some bizarre reason. And then you'll see a meme arriving and then all of a sudden you'll get a new version of the meme which is an improvement on the past one so that one will get picked up the old one will die and the new one gets more likes and it just goes round and round and i knew i knew that it was going it was going off the charts it was a while a few weeks ago there was a discussion with a ukrainian blogger influencer whatever you want to call her and she was complaining that all she ever saw was dogs dogs were everywhere <laughs> right so dogs were yeah. everywhere and I was going, oh, what's going on? And so we started to have a look at that. And basically her, her engagement would have been collapsing because she wasn't a dog. So the algorithms had switched in our favor. So that it was, it must've been around that time that the algorithms had started going, oh, these guys are getting positive feedback. You know, the journalists are writing about them. The, they're appearing in articles. They're being quoted by non, you know, getting followed by blue tick people because well, the blue ticks are mm-hmm. sort of like masters of the Twitter universe, right? Yeah. So if you start getting followed by those guys or they start quoting you, then bing, up your post goes up in the algorithm. I want to like direct a question. So uh, this also does sort of extend to everyone here. Um, you know, you're saying like, you know, the positive feedback in NAFO, NAFO, I, I think it's NAFO because I say NATO. Um, right, you know, okay. that's, that's, that's one of the reasons it, it, it's amplified, right? Because actually even though people could be pretty horrible to like, you know, Russian trolls, stuff like that to each other, we're actually quite positive, right? Even if we've got wildly different political views from different backgrounds. Is that like why you would think, why you've been able to harness this positive loop? Because we're generally, like, what do you think is a shared characteristic here? Why do you think we've been more successful with this? So <laughs> we've been, it is the, di- it's the, diver- the diversity of people. So you have people on the left, you have people on the right, you have people in the you know, people in the middle if you're talking politics politics but you've also got people using their personal accounts so you've got people who went oh I'll just join see how it goes and then they pick up so say they they're a baker or they're a potter right and they they start tweeting about making pots but then they join NAFO they change their their PFP and people go oh why have you done that and they'll go oh, well, I saw this. I'm also making some pots. Have a look at my pots. And they'll look at their pots and they go, oh, that, that's really cool. So oh, I'm helping Ukraine out. 
So then you start ping, bringing in people who like pottery. Yeah. So maybe potters and, and um, NAFO don't mix. So that cluster, that little cluster will just die out. But if you find ones with sort of convergent ideas, then that one will get a feedback loop and it will grow. So we, we get artists. So we've got artists doing the PFPs. So when I, when I did mine, it was just stolen off the internet and glued on with Mac preview. But now if you see some of the new ones, we've got sort of clusters of artists producing sort of some stunning stuff. And then you've got the me, the, the video people. So Jen Bones with her just amazing videos, 2001 mm. and what have you. So you start to get people who like doing music and videos. And it, it's these clusters, these clusters of ideas that are just, okay. how, how have they got there? Um, can, I, can I add to that? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yesterday, did you guys see the the War Institute? I think it is their article that they put out because this gave me an idea for an article. So they were talking about mainly the notion of of NAFO or NAFO, whatever, um, being tr- this sort of like troll factory or group of trolls, right? That were just all a bunch of trolls or whatever. And so this gave me an idea for an academic article that I want to sort of collaborate with Rosario about because both of us being academics, obviously the immediate thought for me was, well, no, we're not. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm not a troll. I mean, yeah, yeah. Th- I might be doing that part-time right now, which is not something I would normally do, right? Um, but we're also um, driving content, I think, in other ways, right? Because some of my um, threads have been retweeted um, and then retweeted by other people for to drive content in relation to correcting disinformation or just, you know, to educate people, mm. right, around some of these issues related to Ukraine, uh, related to Russia and about colonialism and, uh, you know, just to correct the record around some different information. Of course, some of us have been more successful than others, but regardless, you know, whether the content is related to, you know, nuclear issues or uh, colonialism, you know, specific issues around colonialism related to racism or, you know, what what have you, right? There's been a lot of us who have specific expertise who are technocrats who have been doing that as well. So not all of us are like just trolls, <laughs> you know, yeah. and not that that's, a, that, not that that's a bad thing either, right? Because I think that in this information space, that there is a role for that. So I think that that, that has another aspect of NAFO that perhaps is a little bit different than some of these other initiatives, mm. right? I think that because of our diversity, we have, many of us have these different aspects. So right while some of us have these really neat things that we can do, like create that really interesting content related to those videos, which believe me, I think have, have done a lot to drive that um, uh, recruitment initiative, right? Uh, because let's face it, I mean, it, it hooked me and in initially, right? I was like, oh my gosh, I love these cute little dogs and these cute little videos, right? Um, I'll be completely honest. Uh, but I, I think one thing that drew me to it as well was the diversity as far as um, other academics and other people who are technocrats as well. And mm. I think that that makes people interested as well. And that's right. I, I set up a, just a pin. I was talking about this earlier was a pin thread on my account is still there sort of hundreds of replies where people just add in experts of different flavors, you know, but, and the, the first one, ever. yeah. And the yeah. Ben Tallis, Ben Tallis arrived mm. and I, I just tagged him. I just said, Oh, Ben, you know, 
this is what we're up to, blah, blah, blah. And he was, oh, yeah, this is, this is amazing. And I said, oh, do you want a fella? What's, what's that? Oh, it's one of these dogs. Oh, sure. Can I have one with a synthesizer? Yeah, yeah, no worries. And, <laughs> and he has been utterly amazing all the way through. And he was one of the first sort of research fellas, you know, and he's now gone off and done something amazing. Um, uh, German Research Institute, I think he's off at. But there's yeah. these, these, and then we've got security guys, we've got cyber experts, we've got Dr. Nick here, and we've got Maggie, food, food, journalism. Yeah, food, journalism. Yeah, yeah. And we've got, yeah, and we've got Oz and Michael Weiss, and these yeah. guys all started appearing. And but again, it's another feedback loop. Uh, Margaret, just just to you. So, what are your thoughts on this topic? Like, what has made NAFO unique and successful? I think it is because we are not an organization and we are not a fellowship or anything. I think NAFO sort of since it's grown organically. I think it's a culture rather than anything else. It's like this is why we see some uh, clashes right now um, when fella is growing very fast. It's like. It's a carefully grown, um, organically grown culture. I mean, I call, I'm a culture writer. I'm a cultural writer, so we'll say that about everything, really. But it, it is a culture with the, got our own history. We got, like, we got prominent fellows. We got, like, prominent fellow moments, like, with the ambassador. And we got our lore, and the, we got a backstory. It's, it's just, like, this is something that... Mm very a lot of people invest yeah. a lot in and i think it's it's sort of it shows that it's carefully crafted and it's like it yeah. is real it's yeah, real yeah. but on the internet it's it's, it's it, it, i i think it's unique i don't know anything else like it and so yeah. and if so an interesting thing is when you get these when you get clusters arriving and then you get clusters bumping into each other you it gives you random this sort of randomness again is it gonna is it this sort of merger of clusters is that gonna cancel each other out into arguments and then die or is that cluster gonna double because people then find things that are positive about the other group it's just a it's an evolutionary process on twitter it's absolute and when you watch it and if you can understand these diagrams that mr pingu produces it's quite stunning and um i'm not i've not seen anything like it before I still want to call you Maggie because your your Twitter was Maggie. I mean, you can call me Maggie. I mean, Maggie is easier for everyone. It's uh, Margit, and it's like Margit. nobody can pronounce nobody can pronounce it in Swedish either. It's a really old <laughs> grandma name, so Maggie is perfectly fine. Okay, so then, um, okay, cool. So Maggie, then I will ask you some questions. Then uh, you you spent time in Georgia. How long did you spend there? Uh, two years. Okay. And where were you in Batumi, right? No, I was in Batumi, Tbilisi, in Mestia, in Kecheti, and uh, where, where were we? Yeah, yeah. That's the four places we were, and then we traveled um, all over. But uh, yeah, that was the four bases we had with a half a year in each. So when you were there, like, that was quite a reasonable amount of time to be in a place. Did you notice like things change? Like, how did things change during that period in Georgia, or did it not change? Did politics it seem did quite change? Out? It yeah. did change, and we we kept a close track on politics. 
And when we came, it was like really the golden age of Georgia. It's like everything was, I mean, the reforms, they did the anti-corruption reforms and democracy reforms were super cool. And it was amazing. But then the Georgian Dream Party sort of, uh, they sort of gained more and more control. We sort of, I do not like to say this, but we, we sort of noticed we were followed and bugged. And they did that to a lot of journalists, it turned out now. And they had a lot of incriminating films on people. I mean, they can't incriminate me, but <laughs> actually they can't. But uh, I mean, I, I'm the only fellow person. But no, no, but it was like, it was a really bad attitude from the, the authorities and you started getting a one year stay and then you get a half year stay and then you get a three month stay and you sort of, you take the hint. Mm-hmm. So we eventually left and, and it, it broke my heart. That's sad because I know how beautiful yes. Georgia is. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is. And it's like, but when you're a journalist, these things sort of get you, you sort of sense when you're not welcome and you can stay and fight or you sort of leave and fight from the outside. For anyone who, you know, doesn't know who George and Dream are, could actually either of you give like a good summary of them and like how they came about? I think Dr. Nick Ford is better at that than me. She's a doctor as well. Well, I mean, they're just the opposition from the Shakashvili, right? So it's Shakashvili's party. So they're the opposition from that. And they really did a number on Georgia as far as taking taking Georgia backwards, where Shakespeare did all of those reforms, the democratic reforms, um, the anti-corruption reforms and all of that, they undid them completely, right? So they uh, were very, allegedly very conservative, right? They uh, are, they, they play at conservative. Right, but, but <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how they play, right? But they, you know, really undid all of those uh, reforms from police, you know, where Shakasvili had done oh. all of those, had fired all the police yeah. and fired all those public officials and all of that. And, um, you know, everything just sort of went backwards in that, re- in that regard. You know, whereas uh, in, in relation to uh, judicial reforms and all of that, that was a problem as well um, in Georgia. So, uh, you know, the Dream Party undid all of those things. And whereas Georgia had been on, you know, this sort of blitzkrieg sort of reform track under Shakaspeli, you know, the Dream Party, like I said, they had undone all of those things. And so that's one reason why they aren't in a position for EU membership. Gosh, what was I going to say? No, I'm no. sorry. What would you say, no. say Maggie? Because I, keep- I, I No, it's all right. I'd just like to add that there was a lot of disappointment with uh, Zakashvili, too, um, because he, he was corrupt in some way. Oh, yeah. He, like- he, he built, I mean, he built a, a, two huge tubes for his lover to sing him. I mean, there, yeah. the, he, was, he, was, he wasn't perfect. No one is, especially oh, no, not no. if you're a ruler. And, he, but he, now I think it's like 27 or something percent of Georgian people think the country is going in the right direction. Everybody's really disillusioned, doesn't want mm-hmm. to vote, and they're sliding into authoritarianism. Sorry, authoritarianism, really. How, like, what's the quality of life there now compared to how maybe it was a few years ago? Has it still improved or has it got worse? Oh, or? it has gotten worse since Russians came. Some people will have gotten a bit richer from renting out to the Russians, but there is a huge inflation. Uh, people in Tbilisi that I know are 
really f***ing upset. There were Russians everywhere that attached it. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were there were always Russians there, but they weren't genocidal about it, and now they are. The people are really upset because, I mean, they occupy around 25% of the territory, so yeah. it's gotten worse. I mean, COVID took a huge toll on uh, Georgia as is a tourist country. It's really sad. Uh, I, I'm worried. Touches on a couple of questions I wanted to ask. But like, one is, so do you uh, are you pessimistic about Georgia's future? Do or do you how, how do you see the future of Georgia right now? I am not pessimistic. They did two huge great revolts, and that was before they had the Georgian Legion. I would be pessimistic if I was Georgian Dream now because I think a lot of things that happened here in Ukraine. We had Georgians fighting. We had Belarusians fighting. We had Chechens fighting. Uh, I don't think they're going to stay in Ukraine after this war is over. I think they'll go home and they will trade them. I, I, I think so. I don't want any Russians in Georgia. And I know Georgia leading sure as hell doesn't. So, I mean, there will be changes, I think. And this is what I'm saying these things. And this is the reason I can't be in Georgia right now. <laughs> because uh, I would get in trouble. That's interesting. And there's two questions. Uh, okay, but like you obviously, you know, Georgians and Ukrainians themselves, I think, you know, they feel very close. I think they have yeah. Yeah. For, for quite a long time. But, uh, you know, I think the conflicts, really plural, have definitely created an affinity, you know, nothing's better. That, you know, they obviously had history before being in the Soviet Union, but I think there's also that element, you know, shared enemy. There's a lot of similarities there, and we'll get onto that a little bit later. Uh, but what I'm just, what I'd like to know is, in your, when, in your experience of living there, how evident was this sense of like solidarity between Georgians and Ukrainians? It was always there. It was, it was obvious. There was a lot of Ukrainians in uh, Tbilisi and Bakum and elsewhere, and they were very well loved. I know Mamukia himself has said that when he was fighting in the Abkhazia War, often when he and others were saved, there were there were Ukrainians there saving them. So this goes back all the way. It's uh, but have obviously been super turbocharged now with the war and that that Georgian government they tried to stop a lot of people going to Ukraine to fight. <laughs> and uh, including their former uh, their former defense minister. The Georgian people are have a huge solidarity with Ukraine. Always had um, Ukrainians have always had a huge solidarity with the Georgians. They are. I mean, it's it's a ferry ride across the Black Sea. That's all there is. So, so who is it who supports the Georgian dream? If they, what sort of people it's, is? Yeah, I can tell you exactly who supports it. It's uh, eventually. It's a. Yeah. Yeah, a uh, Russian, Russian uh, Georgian oligarch. He supports them. He, he pays a lot to the press. Uh, he has, he owns a lot of press. He, he sort of, he's the kingmaker in Georgia, and he is obviously in tight with them. And he has some far right elements, like some very conservative priests who think uh, the West and the Muslims are coming in with the gays and stuff like that. It's. Uh, I mean, this is a it, it, it's a it's upside down in some ways, Georgia. But but yeah, and you have and then you have some thugs. But I mean, most people don't want to vote in Georgia anymore because it's it's depressing. They they did vote, they did vote for change, and it didn't get them anywhere. So it's uh, it's, it's a hard situation, but I have I have hopes for them. I would say that too that 
there is a small contingent in Georgia that it does support Russia. It's something like, I think like 13, 15%. So those people would support um, the dream party. Because like you said, um, Ivanishvili was the, he was the one who was, you know, the head of the dream party. uh, He was the first leader or whatever, right? Um, But he was also the one getting Saakashvili in in, uh, in power the first time. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, and then, and then too, they're stirring up these things related to the, the um, migrants and all that kind of stuff. And so those people who fear outside people coming in or whatever, you know, that kind of thing, those people might support them as well. So there's that element, you know, I I say generally people don't vote anymore in Georgia. That's the problem. It's it's a small fraction voting. Right. There's not, there's not as much political participation. And mm-hmm. but I think though that this war might be, you know, kind of a turning point for people. I mean, I hope anyway, because it seems that there's been a lot of dissatisfaction, a lot of uh, popular discontent with, you know, the dream party support or kind of wishy-washiness for support for Ukraine. The Tbilisi people I know, I mean, some are elite, some are just normal people. They are fucking upset, all of them over right. the spectrum so, so I, yeah I think so this right. is kind of what I wanted to get at you know that I feel there's a big disconnect and I think to to someone who doesn't know much about Georgian politics they would see a big disconnect between the government and the people uh, I just right. yeah there is yeah. right right definitely um and you know I mean that we'll get a one of the questions you asked me later so I won't say too much about it now but there's that disconnect as far as where you know the people really support um, Ukraine and however you know the government's being very wishy-washy you know while they might you know kind of see what they might be talking about in relation to you know Georgia may not be as strong as a military power or whatever but there's that definite disconnect. Okay still obviously there's a lot of problems in Georgia but you know is it still a place people should consider visiting and why? Yes they should go there immediately and they might think you'll be visiting, but a lot of people tend to stay because Georgian people are the kindest, most hospital. If you get a Georgian friend, it'll be polite, and they are super cool. They invented the wine. They are super hospital, and I, I can just tell a short anecdote from when we were traveling. We went out to to a ATM to take out some cash. Got the cash. Travel further. Two hours later, we were like, oh, f- I forgot my card in there. So we went back and we were so, I mean, you know, you have, you have uh, your breath up very high. And we came to the ATM and it was a big commotion because they, they realized Westerners had got cards. So there was a huge pocket thrown because we, they, they handed over the visa card. So we ended up staying there for three days, getting fed Kinkali, Kachapuri, getting sick drunk. We weren't allowed to leave for three days. And this is Georgia for you. If you don't like weird stuff happening, you might not want to go. But this is like, this is just one of several stories from Georgia. They found the visa card, of course, it's for a bar for the West. That's a really cool story. I think, yeah, it does sum up. I've been to Georgia. I... And I just saw my wife, she's been to Georgia loads of times and she was doing it as a hitchhiker and she has loads of interesting stories of just about the insane generosity. <laughs> yeah, like, almost okay. aggressively, like, you must drink my wine, you have to do yeah, this. Yeah, 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 if, yeah. If you, if you are not, um, if you're a teacher, you shouldn't go to Georgia. I have to yeah. say it. 
I mean, this is a question for either of you. Do you know, like, could you explain a bit about the story of the Georgia Legion, how it came about? You know, they just like some of the other, uh, so like, you know, Chechnya has um, a couple as well, you know, that started just from just Ukraine being at war with Russia, right? And because of uh, the conflict, right, you know, Georgia understands what it's like to be a colonial asset of the Russian empire, uh, just as Chechnya does. And so being from that ca- uh, Caucasus region, the Georgians also have similar cultural experiences that the Chechens do. And so they decided to take up arms and fight Russia. And so it was a, just a very similar calling that the Chechen battalions had. It's just a, just a similar thing. They have been continuously fighting in Ukraine since 2014. Some of them were fighting also with the Chechens in the Chechen wars. They are professional fighters and they are highly sought after um, as a result. Everybody's grateful that they're there. You know, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Matt. I, I, just, I just say that, I mean, if you fought the war with Russia, you will sort of keep fighting it and it will be fought against every front. This is just a new front. And- of the global war against Russia from the colonialized people, I think. Right. It's sort of, this is, Ukraine is one front. Georgia is another, Chechnya is another. It's, uh, it's all the same war. Right, right. I mean, Georgia, I mean, I think that the Georgian Legion recognizes that, that Russia has its designs on, on Georgia still. And I think yeah, yeah, yeah. that the right. right. The conflicts in um, South Ossetia and, you know, all just are further evidence of that. And I think that they are trying to be prepared for that um, yeah. and helping Ukraine in this effort, you know, might, you know, from their perspective as an extension that, you know, that they are prepared, um, that they're helping Ukraine, that they won't let the stand and they're doing what they can in that sort of effort to yeah. stop. Russian colonialism. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, this this is like, they, they are gaining battle experience, they are decimating right. Russia, and they are also gaining gaining friends in Ukraine who will, who will come back and fight when it's time right. to take on and drive out the Russians. It's a uh, super cool. Right. Uh, yeah. I gotta leave now, but I'm, I'm super thanks to these people. Super cool. Right. You are one good-looking woman. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you are. <laughs> cool. Uh, I will leave now. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Sure. Have a good night. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You're still Bye. <laughs> Trying to leave. No problem. What the f- How the f- <laughs> She's so funny. I mean, I could talk a lot about what the hell Russia was thinking and how it went wrong and how right, they right. their own. <laughs> um, it's it it still it still makes me mad that they thought they could take it. I, I, I still don't know, but yeah, that right. it is. It was an echo chamber of themselves. It was believing their right. own. Yeah, they basically believed their own propaganda about themselves. Right, right. They, they were high on their own supply. Yeah, yeah, and they didn't. And there was miscommunication. There was so much corruption in the army. Oh, yeah, it's right, uh, right. Yeah. 
But that ties nightly into, so it's obviously 2014, the war in Ukraine started, but back in 2008 and 92, we had the wars in Georgia. So right. we, we can talk about this now. So like, let's, you know, let's not talk about it since 24th of October. Let's talk about it from t- to 2014. So like, what are the similarities and differences there that we can see? So, okay, so obviously you have this scenario of, you know, irredentism, right, where the Russian empire is trying to reallocate to itself these lost territories, you know, South Ossetia and um, Abkhazia were Russian leaning ish kind of territories. Okay, and so Russia wants to seize this opportunity to try to take back these territories. And (laughs) so kind of like with, um, you know, the regions in the east with Lukansk and Donetsk, right, in Ukraine. I mean, mean, there's, there's just a lot of similarities, right, initially with this notion of irredentism. Okay. And what kind of makes me laugh, right, is Putin had said that, that Georgia had, that he's, he, he sends these troops to the Georgian border, right, with Abkhazia, because he says, I'm going to just send these troops there for railroad repairs, Right. Mm -hmm. And remember, that's um, he was doing, but he was sending troops to um, the borders of Ukraine for just maneuvers. Right. So, I mean, it's not quite the same, but very similar. You know, um, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. You know, it's just like, oh, we're not doing anything. You know, whatever you think that we're doing, you're just kind of like making it up in your mind. And he accused uh, the Georgians of, you know, well, you're just going to you're going to do something. You're the one that's going to do something. Right. And so in some ways, it's kind of similar because you know, he kept accusing um, earlier on as it got closer to the actual invasion of Ukraine was accusing uh, Ukraine of the one who was going to do something, right? So we kept hearing that, you know, they might be the one to create some kind of attack or attack yeah. some city or do some, you know, whatever, right? You know, ultimately, though, uh, there was some sort of like drone that got shot down, right? Like right before that, that happened and over Georgia, and Georgia was like, you know, Russia did it. And Russia's like, no, we didn't. And then the UN is like, yeah, Russia totally did it. (laughs) Right. Then Russia ultimately ends up sending in the tanks through South Ascentia, right. And then into Georgia proper pushing into Gori, right. The difference is, is that it was only, I guess, a five day offensive or something like that. Right. But far fewer people died. But I'd say that there's a lot more similar and there is different. Sure. You know, because it is, in my opinion, it was an effort to try to reallocate that tor- territory in an irredentist, you know, sort of fashion, because it wants to take back territory. You know, look, Russia is an irredentist empire. Putin is trying to take back as much territory as it can. It wants to do that in Ukraine. It's trying to uh, do that in Belarus, trying to make Belarus a vassal state. And it's doing this in Georgia as well. 
um, as much as possible. And if it could do so and it can do so, it will do it with the whole of Georgia. Make no mistake about that. And so if it thought it could get away with it, if Bush and EU or whatever would turn a blind eye, it would completely absorb Georgia proper as well. Well, because Um, that's the thing, you know, back in 08, the West didn't really care. Like it was like, oh, this is bad, but okay, Mm, what can we do? Like, right. right. You know, I mean, George W. Bush did say, get out of Georgia, you know, get out of, you know, the rest of Georgia, you know, and people did kind of intervene. Right. But George W. Bush sort of made some sort of statement that was like, you know, you need to respect the international borders or whatever. But like outside of that, you're right. You know, effectively, nothing was technically really done, at least nothing with any sort of teeth. The vote on NATO was pushed back during this time, right? Which which I think was very important. And of course, um, ultimately in December of 2008, you know, Merkel had denied Ukrainian and, you know, had blocked that vote for Georgia and Ukraine. Well, I mean, in Georgia, I think maybe it wasn't perhaps completely ready at that point. But, um, and I guess technically, you know, Ukraine might not have been either, but, you know, it, it was at least to put it on a path might have been a better idea or something. I don't know. But to, to completely block it was probably not the best solution. You and know? then a few years later, you got Yanukovych back. And you, right. I, I don't know if that would have happened. In that scenario. I, 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 right. I, I don't want to say anything too much confidence on that. But I do feel that it was effectively giving Russia what it wanted. It was going, okay, we won't help these countries gravitate towards you because we don't want more war. And it's like, okay, no one wants war. But I just feel that it, it just effectively appeased them. And- you know, but you also kind of wonder if Ukraine was on a path to NATO, you know, I mean, who knows what could have happened? You know, it's, it's hard to know because we don't have that, that reality. You know, we, yeah. we, we, we don't have the, you know, luxury to know if Yanukovych would have been president, you know, I mean, maybe he definitely would have. I mean, I mean, we know that there was a lot of Russian influence in the elections at that time and, and all of that. So I think that ties in nicely to the next question. So, you know, recently, and we talked about this earlier, you know, Ukraine and the EU, uh, Ukraine and Georgia have now just both been, uh, both applied for the candidate status for EU and Ukraine have now actually you know, got it, um, but Georgia didn't. So... <coughs> We've talked a bit about this already, so I might rephrase the questions to tie into the other question I had in mind. What are the main obstacles here? What had Ukraine done to get there? And what hasn't hasn't Georgia done? Okay, so Ukraine has done a lot as far as trying to tackle some of the issues around corruption, believe it or not, and also working towards, I mean, it's come a long way. Is it fixed? No, right? It, it needs to, you know, shore up some of these areas. Um, it's also done a lot more to deal with some issues around transparency, around its constitution, around some political plurality and whatnot. Um Additionally, you know, it's also worked closer towards shoring up its uh, military, right? So also working more closely with NATO troops and, and, and human rights issues, 
right? It's worked a lot on that. Has it been perfect? No. Now, recently during this war, it's few important issues, in particular the Istanbul um, Accord in relation to like women's rights, etc. It's said that it's going to codify LGBT rights in relation to gay marriage, etc., which is important in the uh, UN. Now, these are some obstacles that obviously Georgia has yet to overcome. But more importantly, I think than that is the fact that, and this is something that um, Maggie alluded to, the thing that, yes, yeah, Shakas Vili had made blitzkrieg, you know, pull the rug out from under it type corruption changes, but he didn't completely change everything, right? So one of the things that he didn't change was the fact that there was a lot of consolidation at the um, level of the executive. And that allowed him to consolidate a lot of power, in fact, too much power within the executive. You know, and that's something that we're still seeing, uh, the Dream Party in power. And that, in fact, was what allowed the Dream Party. Uh, and of course, that's what allowed Chavez Vili to still be corrupt, <laughs> okay, because he had some issues as well, okay? That's also what allowed the Dream Party, because of that level of consolidation at the level of the executive, to undo rapid speed as well. All of Shakasvili's reforms in related to, you know, judiciary, police, various things, right? They need to fix a lot of these things because now we're seeing things related to like state capture. Basically, that means that businesses, private businesses and whatnot are having undue influence over uh, state stuff, right? So in other words, when Ivan Shvili was in charge after uh, Shakashvili, he, when he was president and he was a billionaire businessman, he, this might sound familiar to a lot of Americans, you know, a lot of his businesses were allowed to profit as a result of his influence and power at the head of the presidency. They were allowed to get a lot of contracts and influence and, and whatnot. We're seeing a lot of that kind of thing happen. We're also seeing a lot more political polarization. We're seeing things related to horrible uh, treatment in relation to political prisoners or just in prison in general, human rights violations. Um, so a lot of things that the EU does not like to see. These types of things, again, is particularly related to judicial and various things like that. You know, some of the stuff that Shakashvili had cleaned up in relation to, say, police taking bribes or various things like that, some of these things that he had cleaned up have been reversed. We need to fix that. But then we also need to start fixing things in relation to stuff at the top as well. How do you do that, though? Well, okay, so I would say that the first thing that we would need to do is, you know, at the very minimum, Shakespeare's um, reforms show that it is possible. At the very minimum, start there, we can do that. Second of all, uh, Ukraine shows that it's possible to make these other reforms if you're serious about joining the EU, which a lot of Georgians, they say that they identify as Europeans. It's something like 60 some percent, the majority over two thirds percent of Georgians say they identify that way. Well, if they truly do, then they need to take that notion seriously and start to um, move towards those reforms. The EU will have people that will work with Georgia towards those reforms and trying to implement them. It will take the political will of leaders. And that means that Georgians will have to elect leaders who are serious about implementing these EU reforms. 
um, that's another aspect. So that means it's going to take Georgians actually coming out and engaging in the political process, electing people that will enact these reforms. They're going to have to maybe swallow the bullet and maybe say, well, I don't always agree with some of these things because we know that unfortunately there's a percentage of Georgians who don't necessarily support things like gay marriage, who maybe don't necessarily support things like certain kinds of diversity relation to immigration or things like that, but they're going to have to if they're serious about EU integration because those things are codified in EU laws, right? So they're going to have to say, I may not necessarily agree with some of these things, but if we're serious about that, then that's what we're going to have, right? So it will take a combination of political will from elites and then also some will from um, Georgians to say, okay, we are serious about democracy. We're serious about EU integration. So, you know, we may not agree with these things, but we agree and are serious about human rights and the EU democratic way. We're just going to go ahead and, and bite that bullet and do that. You, you've got to be part of the club. You've got to accept right. everything, right? It's like we see this issue with EU states now, you know, look at Hungary, look at Poland. Right. You know, and- uh, or even like Bulgaria, there's still like corruption there. It actually, to be honest, I, it, what I find interesting, I think like Ukraine has actually it's overtaking some members because they've got this incentive. I, and I, it, right. I think that's that's the problem with the EU perhaps in maintaining that level. That's, a, I guess, a different topic. But right. I do think that, that it can be a good motivation. Like even a country which, you know, Ukraine has definitely improved in toleration for LGBT people, but I reckon right. a lot of people will be like, Okay, I don't really like it, but whatever, fine. I, right. I want to be the EU. <laughs> like, right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah, we want we want all the stuff that you know, and that's the thing, right? Exactly, because what you know, I think that this is a real teaching moment, and I hope that it is for Georgia because it shows. Hopefully, they recognize that Russia is 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 big enough a threat to yeah. them that they recognize that that what comes with EU membership is lots of perks and protections in action, you know, happening right now. Um, Example of that, and hopefully having gone through 2008 alone for the most part, that they can look at that and say, we want that. And so we can just bite the bullet on all these other things and accept that. Um, And over time, they will come to just integrate that as part of their, of who they are. And I guess it's the last question. We have touched on this quite extensively, to be honest with you. But I'm interested in, so Georgian Dream, are they ideologists or are they just opportunists? Is the question I'm interested in. Like, Because they sound like, oh, yeah, refugees from Ukraine and Russia who are anti-regime. Come here. Yeah, we'll help you. We're with Ukraine. But we're not going to do anything against Russia. No, like it's very much playing both sides, right? And from right. what you're saying, I completely understand why, because it's a big Russian influence. Corruption is in their favour. Blah, blah, I get that. But is it is it just opportunism is what I'm interested in? When the party started, they were more, I think, pro-Russia. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that there's still a streak of that that exists there because of Ivan Shvili was, you know, definitely sort of pro-Russia billionaire. And there's definitely that opportunism as well that exists because, look, we have to assume that when politicians run for office, they want to keep power. They recognize that the populace is with Ukraine. And so they are definitely trying to play both sides. 
because of that. But at the same time, because they want to hold on to power and because they do have that pro-Russia streak as well, they don't want to get clobbered by Russia because they have that bias, because they have that inclination towards Russia, that if they upset Russia, that they will get clobbered by Russia. Okay. Their prime minister early on, you know, throughout different parts of the world would say, um, in speeches, you know, look, if we sanction Russia or to, to their people, right, if we sanction Russia, if we upset them too much, we may end up like Mariupol. Um, look at Mariupol. Like what? And what that's not we- that irrational. That's not like, like yeah, crazy. It's not that irrational. But at the same time, I think that they underestimate the will of two of the Georgian people as well, because I think that a lot of the Georgian people would fight as well. I mean, look at the Georgian Legion. And there's more people like that there that would fight. They very much like the Ukrainians, you know, they don't want, you know, South Estensia and Abkhazia to be separated from them, just like Ukraine doesn't want Luhansk and Donetsk to be separated. And they would rather not be part of anything than to have that. You know what I mean? That's what the polling shows. They would fight, I'm sure, then rather than have that become part of Russia. You know, they see that as part of their identity. And so so I think that that leadership, because, and, and I think that you could probably liken them, you know, the, the dream party, in to some extent to, you know, like maybe um, Yanukovych or, yeah. you know, whatever, right? It reminds um, me a lot of him. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, you know, where he had that that leaning uh, towards Russia, sometimes Yanukovych, too, would kind of play both sides because yeah. he was very much wanted to keep power in Ukraine as well. You know what I'm saying? So I can make that comparison there for people who know more about Ukraine. I think that that they just underestimate the will of the people, but at the same time, I think they do so because they have their own biases towards Russia. So yeah, they, they do have biases is what you would say. It's not just yeah. their interest to be close to Russia. Right, right. That, I mean, that's that's my perception. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, I'd be interested to know like what maybe like a Georgian person has a very different perspective and very interested to hear that as well. That's the end of this particular episode and hopefully you'll download the next one. We've got a lot of interesting people already lined up and I've just got to try and uh, nag a few more fellas to join us. That's great. We are very sketchy and disorganised, to to use that phrase. So, you know, we'll get more organised as we go on, I'm sure. But yeah, again, also thank you for listening and remember to donate to the Georgian Legion. Or St Javelin. Or St Javelin or any of the other causes that we that are worth supporting. But yeah, so there we go. Yeah. Thank you. G- goodbye. <laughs>